you're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Grace. And hey, it's Chelsea. I know we were on kind of a break. We're going to come back with kind of a long one. And it is very interesting, kind of deals with a missing person, but two deaths as well. So it's like two for one, I suppose, today. A little bit of everything. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff. I'm just like, damn, how much can go on in one case? And I've never heard of it, actually. Maybe you have once we start getting into it. Yeah, the name doesn't sound familiar, but maybe. I feel like the older cases, just not with social media, they're not like constantly being put in our face. I mean, well, sure. I guess that's a lie. Some of the more recent cases I never hear about either, so I don't know. But um, today we're going to talk about Edward Maps. He was a 39-year-old who was married to Christine Woolback Maps, and at the time she was 22 years old. And I'm going to preface this by saying um, there are two names that are very similar. So if you catch me messing up, because I might, just know that. But Edward Maps, he, at the age of 20, Ed joined the Marine Corps and served during World War II. He was discharged as a schizophrenic. And I'm not sure if that was like the official diagnosis, especially back then, but he did struggle with a lot of mental health. And like, I think nowadays they just kind of assume that it was schizophrenia. Yeah. Schizophrenia back then was like an umbrella term for so many different things. So it's hard to tell. And there's other people that have kind of analyzed it and just thought that it was like really bad PTSD because he uh, obviously was in World War II, saw action, and that's a lot to deal with. Yeah. It could have been a lot of things, honestly. And I really don't think it was schizophrenia because he like ended up going to college after that. And he went to college at the Syracuse University. I was kind of surprised because he didn't finish, I guess, his term in the military, but he was still able to use a GI Bill. Or maybe it's just different now, but I know now that you, I think you have to finish your term um, if you're not like discharged honorably. And he was not. Oh, he wasn't discharged honorably? I couldn't find if they said yes or no, but I would think no because he was forced out. I think if there's a medical reason or I guess psychological would count it as a medical, I think that's probably... You think it's honorable um, then? Still honorable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you necessarily have to have honorable or dishonorable, but I have a feeling it didn't take away his benefits. Okay. But that's just my thought. Good to know. I should probably know more. My brother-in-law used a GI Bill, but I have no idea. Um, so he ended up, after going to school, teaching art in Manhattan, and that is where he ended up meeting Christine. They were married in 1960, though Christine's father, Robert, thoroughly objected. Robert detested Ed, and that is, like, not an understatement at all. At one point, the three of them were living together in Stroudsburg at 521 Thomas Street, which was Robert's property. Robert had suffered a heart attack, and he moved back from New York City because he needed the help, and he was hoping his daughter would help him, and Ed came with her because they were together. During this time, he could barely tolerate Ed, and this situation apparently caused a tremendous amount of stress. Robert sums up that Ed was a bum. That was, like, the big thing. He Okay. Did- oh, yeah. that And that could be, like, that could be a really trying situation, you know? Sure. Robert claimed that he didn't work, 
that he stayed in the house 24-7, that he never paid for anything, and that he would just literally read all day. No, I just wonder if that had to do also with his mental condition. I mean, it could. But I mean, we have no idea, I guess. Yeah, no idea. Because the only time that it was brought up, really, the mental condition was talking about that small little blurb of, like, the military. It's not brought up a lot. Okay, gotcha. But it could be. And sorry, when was this? It was 1960. Okay. So, yeah, so a lot of that caused stress for Robert. And he was just super convinced that Ed had money, but refused to use it. Okay. And that was kind of like a cause of stress for him. Because I guess it's hard to see your daughter paying for everything and not, you know her partner. I don't know. Especially, you know, in 1960 when those gender roles were very very defined. Oh, we're so going to get into see, that. Oh, okay. That yeah, but a- to see a man not taking care of your daughter as a man, I'm sure that struck a chord. Oh, yeah, that is a big thing in this case uh, when we get further along. So, at the time that they were all living together, Christine was pregnant, and in September of 1961 she gave birth. Julia, who's Christine's mother, was divorced from Robert, and she really wanted to help this, I say, newly-ish. I mean, it was pretty, like, they weren't married that long, and she really Mm -hmm. wanted to kind of give them this big present of their own house. She thought that was kind of important to start off, you know, especially with a baby. Sure. But this further enraged Robert, and he ended up lending or loaning money to Ed to help get it. And at the end of 1961, the Matz family finally purchased a house in Stroudsburg, PA. And with this new beginning for the Matz family, you would think like everything would be peachy keen. But only four months later, everything drastically changed. On January 21st, 1962, it seemed like a typical day for the Maps family. They were reported to have visited a neighbor at approximately 8.30 p.m. They had come over with homemade apple pie, and this neighbor was also an acquaintance of Robert, who again is a father-in-law. And at this hangout, this neighbor mentioned receiving a letter from Robert. At the time, Ed made the comment he hoped that Robert wouldn't come back to create trouble for the family. Obviously, we talked about, like, the tensions. The neighbor said that they left shortly after 9 from their house to put the baby down, and at 10.48, there was a report of a fire at the Maps residence, and it's just confusing. Like, what could have gone wrong in less than two hours? Yeah, wow. Yeah. The fire inspector estimated the fire had been burning for 40 minutes before they got there. Holy cow. Yeah. And just think of the damage. 40 minutes of, like, a burning fire. Yeah. You know, you think that there's a lot of evidence gone, but there was still plenty of physical evidence, apparently. Which is blows my mind because the case is still unsolved. But I digress. Christine was found in the kitchen, bludgeoned in the head. They theorize she was hit at least three times with great force with a blunt instrument. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, intense. Uh, Obviously, this fire was an attempted cover-up. The murder weapon was never, ever found. They believe she put up a fight because her right hand was extremely bruised as if she was defending herself. And then Julia is the daughter who is also named after the grandmother. Oh, okay. So that's why uh, it might get a little bit confusing. Okay. She also was dead, and that was due to smoke inhalation. 
So. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. I mean, of course, you don't want a baby to be killed either way, but what a horrible way to Mm. die. Oh, yeah. Yes. It was pretty gruesome. After, you know, examining everything, the fire inspector determined that there were 10 separate fires lit in the house, which were made from piles of paper and clothes. And it was, I thought it was interesting to find out that there were zero accelerants used to start the fires. So maybe that's why so much um, evidence was still, you know, there because there were no accelerants used. Hmm. Yeah. Though it, it was said that the gas stove had been turned on to 450. So, I mean, obviously that can cause a reaction with sure. fire. There was a woman's ice skate covered with animal fur and a plate near Christine that was covered in animal blood. And everyone that knew the maps, like, that were close to them, that had been in their, like, that were in their lives, said that they didn't have any pets. So, where did this animal blood come from and animal fur? Ew. Yeah. Was it a lot? Or you don't know? Like, if it may have come from a big animal? Well, apparently the plate was, like, completely covered in animal blood. But no, like, no animal. Like, a smushed, like, mouse or something like that. Oh, my God. Ew. Yeah. Hmm. And it was also mentioned that the house was locked from the outside. Hmm. But, like, how do you know that? (laughs) I'm just confused. How do you know which side the door is locked from? Is that, like, an old-time thing? I mean, I guess you can't lock a... I don't... I'm not sure, actually. Like, the only thing I can think of is, like, locking the door with your key from outside, but how can you tell the difference from, like, turning it to using your key? I don't know. You know what? (laughs) I'm not sure. Yeah. Neither am I. I was kind of confused by that, but it was mentioned a couple times, so I felt like I had to include it. Sure. Uh, The one thing they didn't find was at Maps, which Mm -hmm. is a little bit strange. What do you think about that? Oh, I mean, I would assume by first look that he had murdered his family and ran away. Oh, yeah. Uh, It did not look good for him. And they did try reaching him, but it was as if he disappeared. Only after three hours of this horrendous fire, Ed was charged with the murder of his family and arson. Only three hours. And this was at night. Huh. That's kind of weird, though. Like, me as an outsider with no, like, actual knowledge of the situation, I would assume it was him. But for him to be charged so quickly, that's crazy. Yep. Absolutely crazy. I thought it was crazy. The Monroe District Attorney James Marsh lived only a few blocks away, and he walked to this fiery scene. He instructed someone to take pictures of the crime scene, and then he personally went looking for maps. By 2 a.m., he, again, personally woke up the Justice of the Peace, Floyd Kellogg, to swear a warrant charging Ed with homicide. I feel like he was personally invested. I don't know. I imagine these, like, two men, like, in their, like, pajamas and robes, like, just (laughs) walking around looking for this guy. Yeah. And I think the saddest thing is, like, even after all this time, it has really only been Ed. He's been the only suspect for these charges. And I really think there should have been more people looked into. And I I mean, obviously, we're going to be talking a lot more and you're going to see why maybe things should have looked been looked into. And I feel like maybe this case, if this like would have happened now, I feel like there would have been more of a chance of having it solved. Sure. Just because they were so pinpointed into ed maps 
Like it had that to be That can him. be dangerous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're not looking down any other avenues. I mean, and my second thought would be if for some reason, like it wasn't him, if he was kidnapped by the people that did this, it's yep. worth looking into. Oh, yes. So we are going to talk about someone that we've already kind of talked about, and that is Robert. We already know that they had a tense relationship. After the horrific deaths of her daughter and granddaughter, Julia, this is the mom, came out and told authorities that she filed for divorce because he could be physically violent. This is Robert. Okay. She also claimed that Robert was mentally ill and tried to get help from a doctor about his behavior. This was before this, like, uh, double homicide. Yet, on the night in question, Robert claimed he was on a plane at the time of the fire. Apparently, the day Robert told authorities he left on Alaska Airlines, the reservation clerk told the FBI that the airline didn't fly out on the 21st. They suggest he flew on Paramount Airlines. He was then supposed to be at the Chesterfield Hotel in New York. Robert told police he checked into the hotel at 3.15 a.m., but the hope... The hotel told a family friend that he didn't check in until 4 a.m. This friend was trying to reach Robert to inform him of the passing of his daughter and granddaughter. And the family friend said he didn't reach Robert until 8, 10 a.m. the next day. So, yeah. Hmm. Okay. There's not a huge difference between like 3.15 and 4 a.m., but that much later in the morning, that's a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't seem like all these discrepancies were really looked into because all eyes were on Ed at the time. The authorities didn't even interview Robert until three weeks after the fire. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, not cool. That's surprising, even if they are, like, looking at Ed as the suspect to not talk to someone so close to the family. That seems odd, no matter what. I agree. Hmm. Absolutely agree. I don't know why. Like three weeks is a really long time. Like the like the huge standard is like forty eight hours or less. Like that's really right, where you're yeah. finding stuff. And I don't think that's like a too new of a like thought process. Like that forty eight hours thing. I think that's been around for a while. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So when they finally did do this interview. He admitted to hitting Ed in the face just months before the fire. He even told them he threatened to kill Ed. Which, I mean, that's not a good look. No. Nope. Not a good look. Not at all. He wasn't even trying. Not at all. So, um, there's conjecture about Robert being the killer. Yes, we know he hated his son-in-law, but, like, why kill his daughter and granddaughter as well? That's a huge thing. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, it doesn't. I guess if his wife is saying he could be physically violent and may have been mentally ill, it could have something to do with that. But from what you told me, it doesn't seem like that would happen. But yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't know. I could see it both ways. I mean, you hear crazy stories, even from today. I was. I'm on TikTok too much, but I was scrolling through and I saw this poor woman who literally like this past weekend got shot by her boyfriend's like stepdad and he also killed his wife and just like tons of crazy stuff and they never said why. And then he shot himself. So they never even knew why. And like nothing was going on. There was no argument. They were like watching TV. I don't know. Craziest things. And I, I don't have to tell you. Yeah. Sometimes people just kill to kill. It doesn't even matter if they're your family or not. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I think we try to, like, maybe understand it a little bit, and our brains just don't work that way. So it yeah. just kind of comes as a surprise. Like, 
Who knew? Yeah, exactly. So someone did come to the authorities and claimed Robert was involved, but he didn't do the handiwork, if you know what I mean. Ah, okay. They alluded to Ed being at the bottom of water somewhere tied to a concrete block. And it is also interesting to know that the Woolbox owned a farm in Bushkill, which was located near the top of the ridge, right above the Delaware River. And all the juicy family drama, actually, like all this, didn't really come out until years later. It is thought that police didn't want to embarrass Robert or Julia in their own community. And I think investigation nowadays is much different. They don't give a flying fuck. How you look. They will lay your shit bare. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess it was more of a small town mentality. Oh, yeah. 1960s. Just different time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, you know what? I think that probably still happens more than we think it does. Oh, In probably. either smaller communities or with people of higher social standing. Yeah, sure. I'd agree. That's probably true. It still sucks. And this is where we're getting into those gender roles that you mentioned earlier. Okay. So the police actually briefly focused on Julia, the mother, because Robert accused her of having an affair with Ed. Oh. Oh, yeah. Gets more interesting. Authorities even searched her apartment because they believe she was harboring him. And apparently she was pressed hard about the time she was alone with Ed. Julia said that Christine took the baby to the hospital around Thanksgiving. She was saying goodnight to Ed, who was sleeping in her bed. Like, she gave her bed up to them to stay. Okay. Okay. And I don't know why he didn't go to the hospital with them. I'm not really sure. I mean, they didn't go into that. But um, she was just saying goodnight, and she was getting her stuff to go into the living room to go to sleep. But Robert burst in. I guess he was watching the house and um he accused her of being a tramp and um apparently this affair came up multiple times in the case and an fbi agent said that after being pressed of this accusation she broke down and cried which i mean i might too even yeah. if it wasn't true if you're harassing me about this i'd probably cry either way yeah and and like robert i think exaggerated stuff saying that she was like in sexy lingerie but apparently like what i would consider like but my grandmother wears like a muumuu type thing it's like you know like a one piece thing yeah. not like like see-through or anything like a muumuu just getting ready to go to bed in another room yeah probably yeah because her stuff was in the room i don't know i just i was like damn really and um, I could see it, though. I was just listening to a case on Morbid and the guy, the um, husband and the wife had both been like cheating on each other. But the wife was so like drug through the dirt. The husband was like, yeah, whatever. He cheated. And the wife was like, whore. Like, yep. it's unreal. Yeah. I don't know where I listened to it. It might have been. I don't know. I listened to too much. But. This woman, I guess one of her children ended up dead and she was mm-hmm. just dating around, but like she was divorced and she wasn't like sleeping with multiple people at, at the time, just like meeting different people. And they were just looking so down on her and they wouldn't look at anyone else. And I'm just like, oh, really? Was this recent? No, it was like it was an older mm. case. I'm just oh, like, that's oh, this is stupid. Wow. That's all I can say. Yeah. 
Because it's, oh, it just, even when you put them side by side, men and women and women just being called out so much more for sleeping. Oh, yeah. Sleeping with anyone, really. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's a mess. Oh, yeah. It's like, and there's this, I've seen it a couple times go through TikTok. I mean, I try to stay on like the cats and ducks of TikTok, but like obviously other things come in. And um, I think it was, it's like a podcast, but they like video people's reaction as they're talking. You know what I'm talking about. And they're like, you know, how many people, if you were to date a girl, how many people could they sleep with? And like all the guys say zero, but then they're high-fiving it's like saying, oh, like I slept with three people this weekend. And I'm just like, ew. Ugh. But I'm not okay. surprised. Yeah. Not even a little. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. I mean, a woman's virginity is still like a prized thing to men somehow. Yeah. It's disgusting. I don't get it. I think it's gross. It is. But we will digress. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about um, that. <laughs> So, a year after the fire, Julia took a trip to Puerto Rico. I'm sure she just kind of wanted to get away. Pretty rough year. And a trooper from her town actually wrote to police in San Juan saying that Ed and Julia were very intimate. And she would go anywhere to be with him. And he was convinced that she was going to lead police to him on this vacation she didn't leave them anywhere. She just went on vacation. Good. First of all, good for her. Second of all, Robert can verbally like threaten to kill him and not yep. be looked into. And then Julia can, there can be a rumor about her sleeping with Ed and she's trailed to Puerto Rico. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus. yeah. It's rough. But authorities were, you know, just dead set on the theory Ed just wasn't riveted being a family man. They claim the responsibilities were just too much. And let me tell you, being like a family person is hard as sh- You have seen me struggling with my family duties. It is not easy. So I will not say that it is not hard. But the media back then, which blew my mind because I thought like a media almost putting you on trial was kind of like started in the 90s. But this was in the 60s and they were just going after Hell no. Yeah. Oh, it was rough. And it was interesting because I, I looked through a lot of articles and some would say some one thing and someone say another thing and they would just contradict so much so much and i just it did not do the case any justice i feel the morning call which i absolutely love that newspaper as everyone knows um they claimed that he was an avid outdoorsman and that there were dozens of searches conducted with zero signs of him they basically thought he was you know hunkering down in the woods somewhere in pa It is interesting to know that both of Ed's cars were still in the garage the night of the fire and the local cab company hadn't received any calls that night for like pickups, if you know what I mean. Okay. So how would he have gotten away, basically? Yes. It then leads to the question, is it possible someone helped him escape? Because at the time, no buses passed through this area. I mean, this was a long time ago. That was kind of like not a a crazy populated area. Right. So, you know, it was like he had help. But what about the fact that Ed had left his passport, stocks, bonds, bank books, and his wallet in the house? They were in the house um, discovered after the fire. 
That, if he was planning to run away and start a new life, especially if he had found connections to someone that could help him get new papers, doesn't really surprise me. Because if he really wanted to start over and he knew the right people, he could and he could get all new documents. That's true. So I'm assuming it was probably even a little bit easier in the 60s than maybe today. Oh, yeah. I believe that. (laughs) That's true. The FBI ended up joining the effort and a nationwide manhunt was initiated. Ed Maps was placed on the 10 Top Wanted. The district attorney at the time put a plea on the radio and in all the newspapers for Ed to turn himself in. And he would then be allowed to attend his family's funerals, which I guess is generous. I guess they don't. I don't know. I thought that was kind of a weird plea. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, if you kill that, your family, you really want to go to their funeral? I mean, right? you left them. Yep. That I thought it was weird. That doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't really seem to be something that would draw him back. No. And like I said earlier, all the news articles were all tearing at apart as a human. They were calling him homosexual. Yep. Lazy. A sponger, which I had no idea what that meant at all. Um, and it means uh, that it's a person who habitually borrows or lives at the expense of others. Uh, yeah, I kind of assumed it might be like mooch, like a oh, moocher yeah. or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, a homosexual. I mean, yeah. well, not surprised at all. It's just interesting looking through the lens of today that the media would tearing you apart would mean calling you gay yeah and the articles also claim that everyone who knew him spoke poorly of him but on the flip side all of ed's friends portrayed him completely differently they described him as being gentle and kind a lover of animals intelligent and gifted These peers also claimed Ed adored his wife and daughter. None of them had ever seen them quarrel once while they were together. And three months after the fire, Julia got permission to go to the house to retrieve personal belongings. And she noticed while in the house that all of Ed's sculptures were smashed, which is, I think, interesting. Yeah, I find that interesting. Yeah, she had disclosed this to a friend who then, this friend, had mentioned it in an interview. But Was he an friend, artist? He was an artist. So he taught okay. art. At, so he did teach art at um, the local college. And <laughs> um, everyone said that he had beautiful artwork. He had his art in shows. And I guess he was a little just extravagant. And that's why people assumed he was gay. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. In 1967, there was a lead about the whereabouts of Ed. Life magazine dropped a new issue with a group of artists in England. Apparently, there was a man in the picture that resembled Ed, but it ended up being a wash. It was not him at all. Then, jump to 1989, the district attorney, E. David Christine, made a bid to have this entire case featured on America's Most Wanted. After it aired, there was a lack of interest in this particular case. We were sort of disheartened, Christine says. We didn't know of any other way to solve this case. There are so few murders in Monroe County. We don't think something like this should go unpunished. I did. I must have done some sort of story that happened in Monroe County because I remember uh, DA Christine and I cannot think of what it was, but 
he has a lot on his or had a lot on his hands, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this case was opened back up in 1993, yet they didn't come any closer to actually solving it. In early 2014, an 88-year-old niece of Julia named Betty Metzgar contacted the Pocono Record saying Christine Woolbach was my cousin. We never believed Ed killed her. He brought the baby to visit my ma- my mother many times. He loved her, and I'll never believe he did it, she said. Wow. Yeah. So everyone else believed that Ed wasn't part of it, except for Robert. Okay. Yeah. So some rumors. Um, I wasn't going to post about them. I didn't want to post about them, but I figured they're pretty big in uh, a lot of the articles. And when you're reading about it on things like WebSleuth or Reddit, they it's brought up a ton of times. So I figured, why not? Yeah. Sure. It's a rumor. Take what you want. So only four days after the fire, an East Stroudsburg woman claims that Maps called her and said that she was next. And apparently she was a friend of Ed. And in the article from the Pocono Record, the police were quoted as saying, if this phone call happened, only Maps would know for sure. And at the time, phone tracing was not like today at all. From like a fast little lookup I did, you know, this tech really didn't hit the quote-unquote scene until the 90s. I guess I assumed police would have ways to look into phone calls from the phone company. I thought that the companies could trace the switchboards, you know, when I'm, you know what I mean? Like, each mm-hmm. side of the switchboard. Sure. But Maps wasn't calling from his goddamn house. He burned down. So he was probably, like, this call would have been coming from somewhere else if it was, like, That's at a convenience true. store or somewhere else. They don't have video surveillance. Right. So sure. how how could they even confirm um, yeah, that sucks because this could be a very real thing or it could just be someone inserting themselves in the investigation to get attention. Exactly, It could be either one. It could be not important at all or the most important. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also it's frustrating because in a morning call article, they say that they verified the calls, but it doesn't say how. Like, how are you verifying? I want to know. Huh. Mm-hmm. Chelsea wants answers. I want answers. But nonetheless, the police did take this seriously and actually posted a guard at her house just to be safe. And okay, obviously, maps never showed up, clearly. So, I mean, each their own. You make your own assumptions to that one. And honestly, I guess they felt like Ed was a violent monster. This was a terrible crime. People were worried. I guess they wanted to make sure that they were showing the community that they were, you know, taking things serious. So... This was not the only call reported. A former colleague of Ed said that Ed had called him to compliment this man's work that was being showcased at an art show. He claimed that Ed said the artwork should be hung higher and he would do it himself, but had unfinished business to attend to. This quote-unquote witness swears up and down that he knew Ed's voice and, I guess, mannerisms, and it was Ed Maps without a doubt. And again, I mean, I don't know. I swear me, everyone tells me me and my sister sound exactly alike. I I swear I have like the same mannerisms as my one cousin. I mean, how can you be for certain? Are you going to pin your whole entire case on this man saying that he knew it was him? I don't know. It'd be different if he came and like knocked on the door or something. Sure. Yes. I I don't know. And it really always comes back to it. The The man who opened the case in 1993 says that he knows for sure Maps did this and was on the run because of this phone call. He takes it as, like, 
serious. And I don't think it should be. And you're thinking a 1960s landline, too. Certainly not as clear as, you know, phone calls you might have today. So even, I don't know, I put even less stock in that. I feel like. I don't know. I just don't know. I think that's just too. eh, I don't like it. Yeah, that's a lot to balance a case on. Yeah. There are tons of tips also coming in that Ed was seen multiple times at East Stroudsburg State College. And I remember he did work there. He taught art there. He was said to have been seen mingling with the students registered for the new term. So needless to say, the local police force was super overwhelmed with the countless sightings and rumors because there were plenty. There were also theories he had to have and accomplish because Ed had such little time between leaving the neighbors to killing his family and setting the house on fire. Plus, how was he going to get away? So it's a lot. I mean, I guess if he went straight home and beat his wife to death and set the fire, I mean, he... It doesn't sound like he did anything to the baby except leave, leave it. her to die. Yep. So maybe, but I could see there being an accomplice from, for him to get away and far enough yeah. away in time. Um, but you have to think. So they, they got home around nine. And the one article said that the fire was burning for 40 minutes, give or yeah. take. Fire department was called at 1048. So you're looking at 10 o'clock. So it's an hour, an hour to bludgeon your wife, set a scene, and set the fire. I mean, I and think there were a ten fires set. Yeah, yeah, to go around and, and set ten fires. Yeah, and it said that to, and it said that she fought back. I mean, so it wasn't quick. Yeah, yeah. not at all. So it's like, uh an hour is a really short amount of time if you really think about it. Especially, I don't know. I could see what makes a little more sense is someone waiting for them to come home and Mm -hmm. immediately when they came home from the neighbors, they were attacked. Yeah. There's a lot. There is a lot. I, this is just something I'm throwing out there. Like you can't really put any stock into it, but maybe Ed was like a coward and ran away. And now he doesn't want to show his face because he left his wife and daughter to die. And it wasn't him, but. But I feel like it's too much. It's too hard. I don't know. I would be, I don't even know how to live not living as me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It actually, (laughs) it it does. Yes. And like to not have it planned or to never have thought about it and to just be like, oh shit, I have to never be seen again. Yeah. Where do you start? Yeah. I don't know. You're right. And I don't know. I mean, some people are good at that. Apparently. I mean, a a lot of people are good at that, apparently. I guess Um, if you know what you're doing, I sure don't. (laughs) No. So. It's a lot to think about. That's why I don't really buy that he was like mingling with students because whether he went missing on purpose or was taken by someone, like none of it would make sense that he was just mingling with students. Yeah. And sometimes I just think that people want to be involved in the case and we see it a lot. Yes. Yes. Or just getting misrecognized, not misrecognized, but like people looking like you. How many times do we see that? Yep. So it's just there's so many questions in this case. 
a lot of questions. Yes. So at the time of Ed Mapp's disappearance, he was 39. Today he would be 100. So pretty sure he's probably dead. Probably. I mean, maybe not, but probably. His height was five feet six inches to like five feet eight inches, and he weighed roughly 160 to 170 pounds. He is listed as being barrel chested, which I also had to look up because I had no idea what it meant. And it means that the rib cage is partially to fully expanded all the time and kind of makes your like, I guess, like torso chest area, like look like a, um, a barrel. Um, yeah. So and he's kind of be, like short and squat. Oh, yeah. Like, or, yeah. I have tons of pictures. And also, I mean, I don't know if we're going to post the one. And I guess like back then they didn't really care about like trigger warnings. But one of them is a picture of uh, the wife receiving oxygen and like battered. So Yeah, I scrolled down to see that. I was like, wow, I can't believe that's out there. Yeah. Oh, it's out there. But there's a lot of other things to post. So I don't know if we'll post that one. But you can find it if you want to. Anyway, the barrel chested could be due to pulmonary issues or other health issues. And I just think it's interesting that he even made it into the military with something like this because apparently he had it for like all his life. Hmm. He had brown eyes, gray, graying black hair. He was white, had glasses and typically had facial hair. And he was last seen wearing a top coat dungarees, a coccyx style cap and sandals. It's interesting to note that there are no dentals on file, especially because he was in the military. There's no DNA or fingerprints either listed for him. Are those not his fingerprints um, in the wanted by FBI thing that you have posted there? Hmm, that's a good thing. Maybe they are. I don't know. That was it was posted in a um, Maybe it's something they got later because it was posted in one of the earlier articles right after the incident happened. Okay. Gotcha. And this article actually is currently selling on eBay. It's like a poster that was hung or it was some type of poster thing that someone saved and is now selling on eBay. For how much? What's the bid up to? I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah, I would like to know. Actually, there's a couple. <laughs> wow. Apparently, that's like a thing. Shop wanted posters on eBay. <laughs> Holy cow. They range in different prices, but this one is... You can buy it now for 25 No one has bid on it. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So that's the story of Edward Maps. We'll have a couple pictures. I don't... Could not find any pictures of the of the baby i just don't think she was old enough i guess to have had pictures i don't think pictures like that big of a thing back then you know what i mean yeah i just can't get over like i said a baby should not be killed anyway but to be left to just suffocate in smoke is horrendous that's monstrous it is and if you look at him, he just looks like a bowling dad. If you look at the pictures of him, he you're looks like right. he's like bowling. Yeah. I don't know. You're... I don't know how to explain it. But I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And that is the end. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by Chelsea Brown. 
Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.